Hello and welcome to the Vata podcast. Thank you again for being with us today and thank you to everyone who's listened to our podcast over the last few weeks and gave us given us a lot of very good feedback. Delighted to be here again with you. We're going to discuss uh, a range of very important topics related to India and Indian news over the last month or so. Um I'm your host Aftab Khanna. I've got uh, Gaurang and Pavan with me uh, this week on the table. And today we're going to discuss uh, the two years of the nda government we'll uh, we'll do a report card of uh, how the government has performed uh, there's been a lot of limelight anyways in india about the government's performance so we'll take a bit of a deeper dive we'll also talk about the recent assembly election results that just came out and and some of the political implications of it uh, and how it might impact delhi going forward and then we'll uh, finally discuss Donald Trump on this podcast for the first time we've been holding it back trying to keep it for a suitable occasion uh, and we're going to talk about how a Trump presidency might uh, look like for for India and as always we'll wrap up with one noteworthy article or news story about India that caught our eye during the last month or so all right let's get going we've got a lot of ground to cover so we'll begin by looking at uh, the nda government has finished two years in power this past uh, two weeks and there was a huge celebration in delhi and the government's obviously trying to tout its own achievement um, and at vartha we've we've done a bit of a report card analysis of the government itself so i'm going to hand it over to gorang who's been deep in the weeds on this and has been looking at what the government's been up to gorang all yours thanks after let me just dig right into it so at first i started looking at the number of bills that the government has passed after coming into power and uh, i tried to contrast that with the number uh, with the numbers with the previous nda government so um, and again keep in mind that i'll be ignoring the budget bill and the appropriations bill that the governments have to pass each year anyways and again the numbers that i'm telling you about the bills that have passed by bjp uh, doesn't include the entire of the year 2016 so uh, keep that in mind so here's the numbers bjp passed 62 in total as opposed to 100 by upa1 in 2004 2006 and 87 by upa2 in 2009 2011 and again as i said the number 62 might be low but uh, you have to keep in mind we have the monsoon and the winter session still coming up this year in the year 2014 bjp passed 30 bills as opposed to 14 by upa1 and 25 by upa2 in its first year but if to but again 2015 that is last year wasn't as productive enough for bjp it just passed 24 where upa1 passed 49 and upa2 passed 37 and again so far uh, this year it has passed the government has passed eight bills now the quantity of bills passed by the government doesn't really indicate the quality of governance but it does give an ind- indication of how active the government has been another key factor to consider is the bjp has passed around uh, passed approximately 70% of the bills that it has introduced on the floor as compared to 65% by upa1 in its entire term and 50% by upa2 so even though you know it doesn't have enjoy a clear majority uh, in the upper house um it has passed far more percentage of bills than upa1 upa2 but the number is far less and again there's uh, key bills that a lot of people are looking forward to that need to be get uh, be passed which is the goods and services tax bill the land acquisition bill real estate bill etc 
Now let's step back a bit and see, is this the only way to judge a government? So a good judge, a good way to judge yourself is like, you know, how to evaluate your own goals and see how did you match on that. And based on that, we can see and judge what the BJP manifesto was in 2014 and uh, see if it's on track on its own ambitions. Now, as Aftar mentioned, they have patted by their, themselves on the back saying it, it was a success. But even from the objectives that is, it has stated in the manifesto, some of them are far from realization. So, guys, do you have any comments on that? So, I think um, the first thing that strikes me is just the fact that the sheer number of bills that get passed in parliament, I mean, we keep thinking that nothing happens in parliament, but it's quite amazing to know that there are so many bills being passed. But obviously, I think it's a, it's an important point that uh, the government uh, the government struggles have related to a lot of the high-profile legislation. Uh, GST is something that they're really trying hard to get through, and they've hit a lot of political roadblocks. And then land acquisition was, uh, was a bit of a disappointment, uh, given that the ordinance lapsed. But, uh, but yeah, the, uh, I mean, this is... Uh, this is a really useful way to look at it. And I'm curious to see, you know, when you looked at the manifestos, because uh, no, everybody forgets about the manifestos. They no longer seem to be so important now in Indian politics. But I'm curious to see when you looked at the manifestos, is there something that you saw that they've actually achieved? Or is there something really big that they stated which they haven't really, you know, realized as, as yet? Right. And another key piece is um, going through the manifestos of Congress and BJP over the years. I think the 2014 manifesto from both of them was far more detailed. They laid out plans of, you know, how they're going to go about the things that they claim that are going to be. But if you look at the previous ones, they're like very generic. Oh, we'll do this. We'll do that. And, you know, the other government has not done this and blah, blah, blah. So um, I think both the parties are kind of maturing in that sense as well. But so going, moving on to the manifesto itself. So the first thing that they uh, point out is the price rise. Now, maybe the oil prices going down over the couple of years might have helped the uh, current government. But there's always the problem of the current drought situation in India and the monsoons are a huge concern even now. Yep. Uh, however, the BJP has declared and has been true on its promise of setting up a price stability fund uh, so that it controls the prices if, uh, you know, in cases of drought or something. It has set aside 500 crore rupees to support market interventions. They also set up a national agriculture market as a, uh, so that mark, uh, the farmers can stay up, up to date on the current prices. For employment, they haven't have some supportive goals, but no real action plan, even in the agenda. And uh, the government itself hasn't acted much on it. The manifesto also deals with corruption, with better governance and tax simplification. While we do see some evidence of better and continuing increase in e-presence of government bodies, tax simplification is still a long ways to go. And as you pointed out, the GST bill is one of the key things there. Another major claim in the manifesto is bringing back black money. And we have seen over the past year that it's been really difficult to do. Um, another objective is in the manifesto is better policy making and adding more reforms and we have from the numbers that we have seen uh, there's still long ways to go there for the bjp as well now although the manifesto claims the bjp government will be more credible by virtue of being less corrupt they have had other issues of credibility like you know being called anti-intellectuals curbing freedom of speech 
it may not necessarily be true but credibility is really forged a great deal with perception and the bjp has had perennial problems battling people's perceptions another key aspect of the manifesto is center state relations and this one the government has seemed to be done a lot better with uh, the government seems to be on track on giving more fiscal autonomy to the states this year uh, 42% of the taxes would be given to the states uh, for managing their finances um, the pm also declared it is intent to make states more self sufficient in terms of finance uh, so that's a good sign uh, the other key things that we see is focus on the northeastern states to increase the infrastructure but again some the other things like the misadventure in uttarakhand and uh, arunachal pradesh regarding imposing president's rule along with the bitterly fought state elections hasn't really gained sympathies for them from the state governments ruled by the opposition now the manifesto in general highlights open governance and e governance a lot and we see some of that manifest with the digital india initiative the bharat net initiative which is like laying down fiber optic cables across the the country um, there's also online portals like mygov.in etal which is to measure the impact of e governance initiatives these are all good things but only time will tell how these initiatives help the other thing the manifesto stresses on is the kartavya bhavna for among civil uh, servants and we have seen some uh, part of this you know kind of materialized where you have heard reports of the pmo being streamlined uh, pmo the uh, prime minister announcing incentives for you know well good uh, performance from public servants so these are good changes but only time will tell how they affect <clears throat> now the other thing so while the bjp uh, has passed the ngac bill there were other promises in the manifesto regarding setting up fast track courts which uh, we haven't seen anything of uh, for now the other thing that has totally been untouched from the manifesto is modernizing the police force now uh, there's another claims uh, in the manifesto to bring about electorate reforms and has lot of ideas about you know a combining state and panchayat elections so that there's less cost to the exchequer but it's a really difficult thing to implement and again there's no really st- near real implementation st- implementation steps that we have seen uh, again to par- tackle poverty the government uh, had promised 100 uh, districts to be targeted for development of which they actually started work on 27 the idea basically is once 100 backward districts get developed there might be a domino effect on the nearby districts now again this con- in conjunction with the maganrega or the mahatma gandhi national rural employment guarantee started by the congress might be a good way of tackling poverty apart from that the government has also put stress on the uh, spreading the jam as we covered in the last couple of charts which is jandhan aadhar and mobile so there's a bunch of steps in terms of you know uh, tackling poverty that the government has taken so but let me, uh, let, me uh, let me pause here gorang so we we've, we've spoken about domestic policy and we we spoken about you know economic policy in terms of legislation and laws uh, one of the areas where there's been a lot of commentary especially related to you know uh, how prime minister modi sees india's role in the world has been about the whole pol- foreign policy piece 
based on what you've read and what you've seen, you know, what, what do you think, uh, you know, some of the accomplishments have been on, on that front and how different has it been from what was happening earlier? Right. So in terms of economic reforms, as you mentioned, right, there's long ways to go, but there's some quick low hanging fruits that the government can still uh, look into, like the telecom bill or which have which have been implemented, like the telecom bill, opening up of the coal sector, deregulating diesel prices, increasing foreign investment in construction and railways, and the biggest one being making better bankruptcy law. So these have been really good changes uh, and bills that the government has been able to pass over the past two years. But there's, as we mentioned, the GST and the land bill one of, are one of the key things there. In terms of foreign policy, and this is something that has uh, highly polarized opinions across uh, the country. The manifesto stresses, obviously, that, you know, more better relations are needed. And it does acknowledge that India lacks in this front. So of the 53 trips that the prime minister took, made abroad in the, his first year, if you compare, Manmohan Singh uh, made 47 and 40 in the UPA1 and UPA2, respectively. So it's, uh, so you know, if people say that, you know, he has made too many more trips, that's not really the case. It's a bit more, but it's what prime ministers generally do. But you see that there is about 18% increase in FDIS compared to last year, could probably attribute that to his visits abroad. Now, one of the key things from his foreign trips is, A, with the United States, we have seen a deal for building, uh, uh, for better military cooperation. With Iran, we have signed a deal for building out the Chabahar Airport, which is a million dollar deal. We have seen renewed investments from Japan, from uh, a defense deal from Russia. The government has also reaped benefits from previous work from the government, like, you know, signing the land boundary agreement with Bangladesh, defense deal with France. But uh, there's some bad as well. Relations with Nepal have been really strained uh, since the last couple of months, specifically, you know, uh, with claims of India closing its border for goods to Nepal. So this, uh, and again, despite Delhi's efforts, Colombo and Mauritius both projects, which were supposed to go to India, have now uh, gone to China, which is a big diplomatic setback for India. So there's goods and bads, bads there in terms of foreign policy as well. Now, so let's 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 finally come down to to a verdict. And, right. <laughs> and, and let's give a score. So if, if you have to give a score, you know what's the score? Now again, no, there's no real data to quantitatively make an evaluation. Yep. I would say the result is they have been a good government not a great one right. um it's visible that you know they have made efforts in uh, in directions but that's not to say that they have may achieved radically more than the previous governments we haven't seen many big corruption candles yet which is a big plus mm-hmm. but you know uh, i feel nothing wrong in being really hopeful with this government and uh, with a pinch of skepticism right so uh, i would probably give it a score of 6 out of 10 right which is which is interesting we, uh, i mean if you're saying uh, good not great I'll, I'll probably increase it to about 7 7 and a half i think that's probably <laughs> yeah, be, yeah. Be, be a better benchmark for that right this was uh, this was this was fantastic i think uh, you kind of really went into different areas both, both from a parliamentary perspective from from an economic perspective and uh, and uh, and a foreign policy perspective uh, a lot of the stuff that sometimes gets missed as 
and as i say every time on this podcast in the in the intent is to go beyond the headlines and get some facts out and then do a more objective assessment um so so let's wrap this section up i think uh, the bjp certainly politically has recovered and i'll i'll talk a little bit more about that in the next few minutes they, they seem politically to be in a strong situation the prime minister seems to be fairly popular his approval rating is high and i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that opposition at the central level is fairly weak so so let's 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 shift gears and uh, there was more than one reason for the bjp to celebrate in the last month uh, there was obviously the two years of the nda government but then they also had electoral success and for the first time the bjp has formed a government in the state of assam they've been making some forays into the northeast arunachal before but assam is the big one and uh, they they managed to get uh, the right campaign strategy in in place uh, they got a good chief minister candidate they also managed to get some very important local leaders away from the congress which which is now a familiar story in many states and they won a thumping victory uh, on the back of uh, a very a very progressive campaign in some some respects and one and a campaign that learned a lot of lessons from bihar in terms of not overexposing the prime minister and and going in with the local face so the bjp had reason to celebrate as did mamta banerjee right next door in bang in in west bengal she came back quite emphatically and what which wasn't really a surprise because most of the opinion polls were pointing to that i think what what is worrying some is, is uh at least in terms of the results is the news for uh, mamta banerjee's political opponents the left front uh, seems to get weaker and weaker in bengal which seems to be its stronghold and uh, mamta interestingly did pretty well in rural bengal which the left used to dominate the congress was tag teaming with the left uh, unfortunately didn't really yield the results that they wanted to so there was no happy news from them from the eastern part of the country down south it was very interesting a lot of the opinion polls especially the exit polls uh, were mentioning that uh, karunanidhi and the dmk would probably come back to power again and um, when the when the results started coming in it was a bit topsy turvy but finally jayalalitha pulled through and she pulled through fairly comfortably which was a remarkable result for tamil nadu because the state has been known to switch incumbents every 5 years it's very rare that you get the same government voted back to power now tamil nadu po- politics is very populist in in nature and it seems that jayalalitha's populism ended up defeating the dmk's populist policies the women vote was critical because that generally tends to go to the ai dmk and if the if the women turnout is higher then that's generally good news for them which seems to have have happened in this in this case as well and then kerala again um, kerala actually held uh, held true to its trend of voting the incumbent out of power the congress government lost the left front is back and uh, and and that kind of completed the cycle of bad news for the congress party they they were left empty handed and it once again raises question marks about where the party is headed what is the overall direction uh what values rahul gandhi adding to the top a lot of those questions keep coming back every few months for the congress and there doesn't really seem to be any good news around for them so uh just to summarize the 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 state leaders had had a good round of elections most of them i think the dmk was probably the only loser the bjp won uh, where it probably wanted to win the most which was assam they didn't really uh, they were hoping to do better in bengal but they kind of fell short and they didn't really have uh, a lot of stakes in the southern state they didn't manage to open their account though in the kerala assembly which is which is a huge win for them 
but the Congress has to be the real loser in uh, in these polls, sadly. And uh, the the party needs to take hard steps, otherwise they're, they're getting wiped away from the political map of India. Right. Uh, so we've wrapped up uh, uh, the Indian political scene. Let's move away from domestic politics and talk a little bit more about foreign policy. So. Donald Trump is now the presumptive nominee of the Republican Party in the US and we've been waiting for a while to talk about this but now it's actually a good occasion as we run up into the conventions what can a Trump presidency look like for India and Pavan's been doing a little bit of research around that and and has some talking points so over to you Pavan yeah uh, thanks Astab so actually this election season in the US has been very polarizing so far two of the three leading candidates are the most hated in recent US election history some recent polls suggest both Clinton and Trump have the uh, highest levels of votes for being strongly unfavorable in several decades so we are not going to talk about uh, Clinton let's just talk about Trump for today what if he were to become the next president of the united states first of all uh, let's see what's keeping trump in the news we all have heard about the wall that he's planning to build with mexico uh, or th- rather on the mexican border now great 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 <laughs> the great wall of trump i guess the great great uh, wall as he says <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, we are not going to talk about that because it doesn't affect india much uh, but we are going to talk about the, the next thing that keeps him in news is that he's suggesting banning all uh, muslims from entering the united states now it, it's quite disheartening to me actually india is home to 170 million muslims that's more than that of iran iraq and saudi arabia combined so we are one of the largest one of the countries with the largest number of muslims now india also has uh, a lot of uh, six uh, 21 million to be precise who have frequently been stereotyped and treated as muslims and likely all of them are to be affected by this banning all muslims is equal to saying you know you're banning up a rather large percentage of indian population from entering the united states so that's not going to be good news for india the second one which uh, which he keeps talking about is his uh, immigration policy so trump has been very vocal and he has expressed interest in deporting the 11 million undocumented immigrants in america although it is arguable if he is actually going to be able to implement it his very stance against immigration is probably bad news for indians while there are a lot of a lot fewer undocumented indian americans trump has also expressed interest in limiting or ending the number of h1b worker visas which many indians including us and our friends use as a means to temporarily work in the us in fact many indians use it as a path to citizenship as well by applying for their green card while on h1b and proceed to become citizens several years later Trump has flip-flopped about H1Bs just he has about many other issues. Uh on his website that I was just perusing, he was suggesting cre- increasing the prevailing wage requirements for H1Bs, which is probably polarizing for Indians. It it will reduce the number of Indians coming through outsourced jobs, but also uh, the number of people who are coming in through higher education in the US is likely to increase. And thirdly, Trump's foreign policy his foreign policy positions are highly protectionist from what i can see and they are very suspicious of foreign businesses uh, 
he has made a lot of comments about forcing companies to bring back jobs to the us he he claimed that he would he would ask apple to bring back the manufacturing to the us i don't know if that actually going to happen but if it did both indian and us businesses are likely to be hurt by it indian outsourcing companies are likely to be hurt the most due to both his foreign policy and immigration policies trump has suggested allowing corporations to repatriate all of their cash about 2.5 trillion dollars in total which is held outside the us at a one time low tax rate of 10% so if corporations were to take advantage of this i believe this would also negatively impact india by hurting our currency due to the outflow of dollars from the indian economy that's that's some of the things that are uh, uh, that that are the key points that i had uh, that i found there's a number of things that donald trump is doing he's probably one of the most non conventional candidates out there it's going to be very interesting to see what all what else is there in store if he does become the president Uh, so i just wanted to add you know uh, ideologically though uh, the republican party is a bit better for india than democrat because they are generally pro business more conducive to international trade with few restrictions and which is also evident from recent history uh, the bush administration was far more better for india than bill clinton you know in terms of building trade relations defense deals and even its pa- uh, stance on pakistan but as you mentioned uh, trump is has been really protectionist about foreign policy and uh, other like you know uh, reducing the number of h1b visas but being a businessman and being trump that we know, <laughs> we know he is now uh, he might ch- change his stance as well uh, and i also wanted to po- uh, uh, point out from an indian point of view you know despite a lot the fact that a lot of indians actually favor democrats hillary clinton who is um, as we know uh, the leading candidate from the democrats apparently had a get modi narendra modi cell in the early obama administration and took a lot of effort to continue the no uh, visa policy for modi so we know she's so we know her stance now and uh, also it's very likely in case of a hillary clinton presidency her chief of staff might be huma abedin a very close aide offers uh, who is a pakistani american and obviously no friend for india so again a lot of other factors affect the us policy with india you know like who the rest of the team team is what is their long term policy so we can only spe- speculate now yeah and that's a fair point about the republican democrat divide uh, when it comes to countries like india uh, but i think what's also happening is uh, Trump is not necessarily a Republican candidate. The Republican <laughs> Party itself is wondering whether whether he is a he is a Republican or not. So uh, <laughs> I, my my take is that you know I think what worries most of the world leaders around with respect to Trump is the sheer unpredictability of of him. And and I think you know you you literally can't plan anything on how to approach or how to kind of assess what he's saying with. they're good leaders and they're like bad leaders i mean you know with with putin you know he's going to adopt a tough stance around russian nationalism you know with with some others you know that you know north korean leaders you know he's crazy so but that's known crazy i think with trump people just don't know you know which side of the bed he's going to wake up on and what he's going to say so um so it'll be interesting um you know i wonder how you know the ministry of external affairs is actually uh figuring out or preparing to to actually have uh, have a policy when when trump is in power 
All right. Uh, so we've, we've covered quite a fair bit of ground and we're close to, uh, to our time. So we need to wrap this up, gentlemen. Let's move on to our final section, which is around one interesting, noteworthy article related to India that you've seen over the last few weeks. Uh, and let's do this through the round table. So Pavan or Gaurang, which one of you wants to go first? I'll let Gaurang go through first. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> uh, so the article uh, that caught my eyes was in the Financial Express written by Kunal Dubey. It's about the rise of artificial intelligence startups in India. So basically, uh, there's uh, an app called as Nikki, which is a chatbot that acts as a virtual friend and helps you manage your e-commerce services via simple chatting. And uh, supposedly, it's going to be a rival to things like Siri or Google Now. Uh, and again, you know, uh, chatbots have recently been very popular these days, uh, especially with the advent of uh, Slack. But um, there's other uh, Indian startups which have, uh, and including this, which have got a lot of seed funding, which is good to see. There's another notable one, uh, according to this article, is Aria.ai which offers a developer platform for be business to commercial or business to business intelligence. So interesting desire for the Indian startup scene. That's very interesting. Pavan, you want to go next? Sure. So the article that caught my eye, uh, it was probably for selfish reasons, but uh, it was about the inclusion of uh, India into the International Expedited Traveler Initiative, more commonly known as the Global Entry Program. So the uh, this is a U.S. program uh, which expedites immigration and customs for Indians who are for uh, people who are part of the program and are entering the U.S. So. The MOU was uh, inked a couple of days back and India is now part of the global entry program. It's yet to be implemented and the details are not out there yet. Both India and US will also will be jointly scrutinizing and uh, doing the background check for Indians who apply for the program. And uh, this should enable frequent Indian travelers. And mostly, I think it was made for the notable celebrities who have had to go through <laughs> extensive security checks previously. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking Shah Rukh Khan, but uh, yeah. there's more. <laughs> so it's it's ma- mainly made to uh, enable Indians to zip through immigration, customs, and security check. In fact, uh, since Indians represent a good chunk of travelers to the US, the deal is likely to help everyone who's flying to the US. I hope the days of waiting at immigration counters for hours are behind us. No, that's, uh, I think uh, I was really heartened to see when I when I read this news because I've spent long, long hours at immigration lines myself. Um, and I think it'll be good, as you said, not just for the Indians, but actually for all other travelers as well. Um, so hopefully it'll, it'll, it'll go through and uh, hopefully people who keep shuttling back between the countries will now have an easier travel experience. Right. Uh, they said it, were, it would be a couple of months to implementation. Let's see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's hope it rolls out fairly soon. All right. I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, since we spoke about Donald Trump, I can't resist but ending uh, with Donald Trump as well. Um, so Hillary Clinton was giving um, a big speech, a big foreign, which was supposed to be a foreign policy speech this past week, but it eventually turned out into an attack speech on Donald Trump. And she was pointing out on how Trump is very uh, flippant in his foreign policy views and really doesn't have any consistency. 
And one of the things that she mentioned was that Trump conducts his foreign policy through Twitter. And she actually said verbatim that I bet at this point of time, he's actually on Twitter and commenting about my speech. And which is exactly what Trump was doing. He was on Twitter at that moment and he wrote this tweet out (laughs) saying, bad performance by crooked Hillary Clinton. She is saying lies, lies, lies about me. And (laughs) I thought that was that was really funny because that was like just so Trump. And, you know, and and Hillary had actually called it out. uh, And he was on Twitter at that point of time proving what she was saying on stage. So, um, so it was interesting. We'll see how the election cycle goes, but uh, a lot of commentary in the U.S. media outlets said that Hillary finally kind of found a voice, uh, as well as a convincing line of attack against uh, against Donald Trump. But but that tweet was kind of really funny, and uh, I, I I had to share it, especially as I said, since we've spoken about Trump so much today. All right, we're going to wrap wrap up now. Thank you so much, uh, gentlemen. This was a really useful discussion. We've uh, covered very good territory related to the Narendra Modi government and, and its two years in power. We've spoken about uh, assembly election results in India. We've, we've spoke about foreign policy and, and the U.S. and if Donald Trump becomes president. And hopefully we'll have some good news, uh, both from the artificial intelligence perspective as it develops in India, plus also the global entry, which I think would be a big boon for Indian travelers who come to the U.S. Thank you very much for your time. We're going to wrap up uh, the podcast here. Please, please do visit our website, vartha.in, to access more of our content. Sign up for our newsletter that comes to you every Monday morning, captures the major news stories from India every week. Also, listen to previous versions of our podcast that are also hosted there. And definitely check out our chart of the week, which is an incredible data visualization, which we do every week uh, as we pick up a statistical topic related to India. Also, look at the description for the podcast episode. We'll be posting links to the data sources that we have used for the podcast, for the numbers that we have used in the podcast. So please check that out as well. Absolutely. Our podcast is available on all channels where you can access audio files. We are available on iTunes and SoundCloud, as well as directly on our website. Thank you. Have a great week ahead and thanks Pavan and Gaurang for your time. Thank you.